last couple of weeks I talked about the law and I kind of got, you know, kind of into a bunch of tedious stuff. And the most thing I want you to remember about the law is that it was just like a bright light. It's just here to show us stuff. But it doesn't fix anything. You know, Jesus came to fix our problem. And he did it by eliminating the power and the penalty of sin by his death, burial, and resurrection. And now he's helping us deal with the presence of sin by his indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit who lives in us and helps us figure out what to do each day. And <clears throat> I think the main part of that process for us is the process of getting to know the one that we're trying to trust each day to lead us. Um, the law does continue to do something for us. And I want to talk about that tonight. In Galatians 4.21, he says, tell, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Now, the people in the church of Galatia were Gentiles. They were not Jewish people. They had come to Christ uh, through Paul's ministry. And uh, he's writing a letter back to them because he's heard that some Jewish Christians came up or came into their midst and were saying, look, now that you guys are saved by faith, righteous by faith you have to keep the law in order to be a good christian and so the whole book, whole book of galatians is basically saying no don't do that <laughs> paul is saying it, it couldn't save you it can't help you grow up either but he also tells us in that same book that we should listen to the law now what that sounds almost like double talk like how can you say don't worry about trying to keep the law but you ought to listen to it well when Jesus came, he said, one of the things he said about the law was, don't think I came to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And part of that, I believe, means that he actually showed what it looked like if someone kept it perfectly. In fact, he didn't just keep the law perfectly. He kept that law that he talked about, you know, where it says, don't kill, but I say, don't even hate your brother. Well, he didn't even hate anybody. And so he lived uh, what a friend of mine calls Moses 2.0. He lived that upper notch, if you will, because what he lived was not law. He lived God. He just came to earth and showed us who God is because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All right, so he's here, and he does this, and he leaves. And But one of the things we need to do is know the one who's not here anymore. Or is he? Well, if he lives in us, he is in here, and he's given us his word, the Bible, and he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. And so those things all together help our, our means through which uh, that he has given us to get to know him so we can trust him. Well, another thing about us listening to the law um, is that the law shows us things to help us understand other things. And here's what, I'm what I mean by that. In Galatians 4.24, he goes on after he said, don't you listen to the law? He talks about these two ladies. And both of these women, uh, one of them was Abraham's wife, and the other one was Abraham's wife's maid, Hagar. And he talks about these two women representing something. He said, this is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants. And he goes on and explains how Sarah pictures, if you will, the new covenant based on God's promises, and Hagar 
pictures, if you will, the old covenant uh, based on the law. Okay, you can go back and read that in, in, in Galatians chapter 4. Now, why am I telling you that? <clears throat> when we read the Old Testament, you know, the, the first, 60, the first um, half of the Bible, well, it's actually more than half, it's the whole before Jesus came part, right? Genesis through Malachi. We read about a lot of things, not just the 613 laws that Moses wrote down for the people to keep. Yeah, there were 613, not just 10. <laughs> you know, there are there laws like if you steal your neighbor's donkey, you have to give him four donkeys in return. You had to restore it fourfold. That's why when Zacchaeus came down out of the tree, when Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, I want to eat at your house today. He said, oh, Lord, if I have wronged anybody anything, I will restore it to him fourfold. He wasn't just being generous. He just knew what the law said, that if he took something illegally or dishonestly from someone, he had to give it back four times. You know, so it was a civil code. It was a lot of other things. But woven into the law, there were great pictures of what the new covenant was going to be like. You know, like every time an animal was sacrificed and blood had to be shed for the remission of sins. And they did the Passover celebration once a year, and there were other free will offerings that people made, and they just felt like they needed to make a sacrifice to God. What it was showing us is if I'm guilty of sin, only innocent blood can actually pay off my debt. Well, we know in the New Testament, it says, well, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. Okay, so what were all those sacrifices about? Over the years, there were probably millions of animals that were sacrificed. Um, they, they, they lost count on the day that they sacrificed so many animals when they were dedicating the temple that Solomon built, the Bible says. They just, they just lost count they sacrificed so many animals. Now, Every one of those animals that died was a picture of something. Innocent blood had to be shed for the remission of sin because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no, you can't blot it out. You can't do away with it. Well, then what was that all about? It was showing us that innocent blood needed to be shed on our behalf. And the only one whose blood was actually capable of doing that was the blood of Christ himself. He was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, John the Baptist said. All right, so all that was woven into the law to give us a picture of something. And it, we don't have near enough time to do this, but we could literally go through all the 613 laws and look at each one of them, and every one of them would tell us something about the new covenant. Um, you'll have no other gods before me. The first one of the first 10, command, of the Ten Commandments. Well, there's only one God and one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. All right. So he said, I and the Father are one. So woven into the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments was there's only one God and you serve and worship him only. And that happens to be God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three people, three persons. All right. So I said we don't have time to do that tonight, but we can look at the law. We can look at the stories in the Old Covenant. Now, the story about Hagar and Sarah, what did they do with the, the, the 613 laws? Because this was 700 years before the law was given through Moses. But they pictured something. They pictured the new the covenants that were coming. 
the flood. Um, I could go into, which I have a whole course I wrote years ago and used to teach at the former ministry I was directing, on how uh, the, the Israel's history, if you back off and look at it like an like a epic play, um, shows the plan of God interaction with man and all the different parts and how they interplay. Uh, there was a guy named Joshua. What did he do? He came after Moses. Okay, well, Moses gave us the law. And then they were supposed to go into the promised land, but Moses couldn't go in the promised land because he broke the law at one time. He, he struck the rock when God told him to speak to the rock to get water out of it. All right. Well, the next person that led Israel was Joshua, and he was able to take them into the promised land through the Jordan River. Now, if you bear with me, that's a picture. Um, John the Baptist came, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. He said, I can't save you. I, in fact, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. So Moses and Joshua were a picture of John the Baptist and Jesus. Just like J Joshua led him through the Jordan River, Jesus had to be baptized in the Jordan River. And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And we enter God's rest through Christ. Uh, it wasn't a geographical location that we call Israel nowadays, although that was a picture of it. And we could like, do this for hours and hours and hours. So when you read the Old Testament, you can look at it and see that when Jesus came, he fulfilled all those pictures. The Bible tells us that Joshua was a type of Christ. Let's look at some more words here. We have allegories. An allegory is just when you take a real-life situation and you use it to illustrate something else. These were real people. It really happened to them, but they are an illustration of something else that's even greater, right? Types. I just mentioned that Joshua was called a type of Christ. He was a foreshadowing. He was a he was a typification. He, he, this is kind of like him. Is what what it means. Uh, Hebrews eleven nineteen says he considered that God is able to raise men from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Here's the word. Okay, and who is he? That's Abraham. All right, so here's another picture. God promises Abraham a son. He finally gives him one. His name is Isaac. And one day he says, okay, I want you to take your only son, your only begotten son, the one between you and Sarah, not the one you had with Hagar, and take him up a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, it says at the foot of the mountain, there were some other men with them, that he told all the other men to wait there with the donkeys and whatever, and he laid the wood necessary to burn up the sacrifice that they were going to make. He laid that on Isaac. Right now, we see pictures of Isaac as a little boy. Well, he was probably about like Dwayne. <laughs> Pretty buff. You don't lay a pile of wood on a little kid and he carried up a mountain. All right, so he's probably 20, 25 years old, which means Abraham's about 120 or 25 years old. And he, his son could have said, you're not going to do this to me, but he, he, the son willingly carried the wood. Now, what is that a good picture of? The son of God carrying the cross. And the father and the son went up the mountain together. The Bible says God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He trusted himself to his father. And they got up the mountain. And another type, another foreshadowing occurred. Just as he was going to kill Isaac, 
The angel of the Lord said, don't harm the son. And he looked up and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And he went and got the ram, a male <laughs> sheep, and laid him on the altar. And what's that a picture of? The substitutionary death, Christ dying for us. So when Christ came, he literally fulfilled all the, the allegories and the types. And another thing we hear about is shadows. Hebrews uh, 10.1, for the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, all those sacrifices, they're just a shadow of the one sacrifice that would actually work. All right, so there is great value in reading the Bible. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 20, Revelation 21, the whole thing. It's really an epic story. It's like reading, you know, one of these really long stories that goes on and on and on. And it starts with a beginning and it has an end. And there's a there's a plot going on. There's an evil guy who comes in and tries to mess up the works, but the the good guy knew about it ahead of time and he had a plan in mind what he's gonna do, and the bad guy showed up and and if you read it that way, you'll begin to see this. And then not only was there an epic story here, but there's things happening along the way that help us understand other things. Uh, one of the things that um, I've gotten bogged down in before, when I was a lot younger in my Christian walk, is I'd read something in one little spot where it looked like, I don't know if I can trust God or not. He's just, he'll kill you if you do the wrong thing or whatever. And, and we look at something like the flood we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Wow, that, that's pretty big. Well, when I was in the construction industry, um, if someone hired me to remodel their home, I did a lot of remodeling over the years, room additions, that kind of stuff, and build new cabinets for people. I really love that, doing that part of it. Well, let's say they wanted to remodel their house. And I did a lot of that in Norman, Oklahoma. And one of the things we did fairly often during those years was take out the wall between the formal living room and the den and turn it into one big open concept that's real popular nowadays. Well, some people are actually going back to building those. In fact, <laughs> one house I tore a wall out of one of the years ago, one of the employees here at Kimray lives in that house. And he and his wife put that wall back in <laughs> Before in the, between the, the formal living room and the formal dining room. They wanted the formal dining room. And they tore out this massive entertainment center that I built that held these great big speakers and this giant CRT TV that weighed about 800 pounds. Because, <laughs> you know, you can pick up TV now with just one hand, but back then you needed a forklift. Well, nobody needed that anymore. It was a by the way, it was a beautiful entertainment center. It was really nice. A lot of design features, doors that came out and pocketed back in. I could go on for hours. But anyway, they didn't want it, so they just tore it out and threw it on the, on the trash heap. Went, oh, man. <laughs> it was a great entertainment center, but nobody, it, was, it was literally 16 feet long, about three feet deep, floor to ceiling. <laughs> it was a massive unit. But anyway, my point is, if you didn't know what was going on, and I come into a house, usually as a remodeler, what's the first thing you do? Demolition. It's crowbars and sledgehammers 
And it looks a lot like I'm messing something up long before it looks like I'm fixing something up. And a person, and I've had customers do this, they get really discouraged at that point. Oh, my beautiful home, and ah, it'll ever be the same again. It'll, you know. But when they get done, they go, oh, this is so nice. But when God intervenes and it looks like that's just a snapshot of something he's doing in a bigger plan. Just like the demolition on that house was just a snapshot of something we were doing for a bigger plan. Okay. And that's why it's important to read the whole thing. And what is God doing? We made us in his image, and it says we're being conformed to the image of Christ. And whatever he began in us, he's going to complete. So God's doing something. It's an epic story. He's got a plan. He's not making it up as he goes. The lamb was slain. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. So God knew about that before he ever began. And so the types, the shadows, the, if you will, illustrations and visualizations he gives us. Here's another one. John 3. Just, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, what was that? Well, at one time, the Israelites were being real ornery in the wilderness and complaining against Moses and God and everybody. And so all these snakes started coming into the camp and biting people. And then they cried out, oh, save us, save us, you know. What does the Bible say? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. And sin is just not trusting God. And they weren't trusting God. So God told Moses, I'll tell you what, make a, a big bronze snake put it on a really tall standard on a pole in the middle of the, of the camp. And if anybody gets bit, if they'll look at that snake, they'll get healed. And it worked. Okay. And Jesus said just like that, that when you've been stung by sin and you're going to die, if you look to me, I will give you eternal life. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Just like it gave them physical life. I will give eternal life for those who look at me. So that was a picture, an illustration, an allegory, a type, a shadowing of what the Christ was going to do for us. And I even thought about that one day. I said, a snake. I never thought of Jesus as being a snake. You know, a snake usually represents evil, right? Well, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, he made him, God made him, Jesus, sin. that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus took our sin on the cross. That's why he rep was represented by a snake. He actually took our sin on him and gave us his righteousness in exchange. That's quite a deal, right? Okay, so when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of that. He, he, he filled in the blank for every picture. Um, he's the alpha and the omega. He, he, he's the beginning and the end and everything in between. And he came to show us that. And the whole Bible is about that, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, we don't keep the laws anymore because the Bible says now that we are, if I, can got it, I think I got it up here now, now that the law, has, the law has become our tutor, it's a teacher to lead us to Christ so that we may, be, we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under the tutor. Okay, the law shows us Christ, but now that we have Christ, we don't lead the law. But it's just pointing us to him. That's like John the Baptist said to his own disciples. He had some disciples. He said, there's the Lamb of God. And so all his disciples left him, went and followed Jesus. And John said, I must decrease and he must increase. He knew that he was not the Christ. He was just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Just like Moses came before Joshua. 
John the Baptist came before Jesus. All right, so what we're going to start talking about next week is this thing called faith. You know, what is it? Uh, you know, we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, here's a, here's a faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's a mouthful. What does that mean? You know, we'll talk about all of that, okay, and just move on. Um, and now when I read even the Old Testament stuff, it encourages my faith. It tells me that this isn't as random as it feels like. God's been on the job. He's been writing a plan. He's been revealing his will to us all along.